friend Clint Wilkie with us. Uh, he'll be preaching here this week and next week. Um, I know that his uh, wife Kathy and Ben and Zach, part of his family, are here worshiping with us today. So if you get a chance uh, to meet them uh, afterwards, that would be uh, great. Uh, Clint um, has been uh, laboring in the gospel ministry for many years. Um, uh, up until recently, he was the senior pastor at Christ Covenant Church in Hernando, Mississippi, uh, where his family lives. And recently, he has taken over the uh, leadership position of the Mid-South Church Planning Network. Uh, today, though, he's here to uh, bring God's word to us, so um, we welcome him. Well, good morning to you, Redeemer. Happy Father's Day. Good to be with you and looking at God's word uh, it's great to have my wife, Kathy, and two boys here. It makes a Father's Day a little special. I've been traveling a lot and preaching, so it's good to have them there, here with me, and to be with you today. Uh, if you would, turn with your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16, uh, or in your worship bulletin, it's printed there for you uh, as well. Uh, it, it, we come uh, to Genesis 16 thinking about this, the chapter before it, chapter 15 is the the great heights of the Old Testament where we learn that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. So it's a glorious high point in Abraham's life, Abram's life for short. He'll be called Abraham later, Sarai for short, Sarah later on after they give birth to Isaac. But we come out of chapter 15 into chapter 16 and we walk into a world of, of calamity. <laughs> walk into the world of, of uh, dysfunction, brokenness. And wondering, is God still with us? This account happens about 10 years after Abraham had received the promise that he would look up in the sky and he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And then we come to chapter 16 and we see that the great struggle that you and I have is to believe and remember God's promises that God himself never forgets. And with those things in mind, let's read God's word together today. And let's hear his voice as he speaks to us. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, <clears throat> had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when sh she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you, to, to you, to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham, Abraham, Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you so that they cannot be numbered for, for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord had listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord, called on the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It is between Kedesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. This is God's word, his very voice to us this morning. Let's pray that he would bless this word to us. Father, we thank you that in your wisdom and power and grace, you sent your son Jesus to become one of us so that we might call upon you and know you as Father and know that you are indeed at work in all the trials and travails of our lives. That as messy as we can be and messy as things can get, that does not deter you from pursuing and loving us and showing us your goodness and your compassion to us. So may we celebrate your goodness. May you humble us by your greatness. And may we walk in truth today and know it because we've met with you and heard your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a people who long to be remembered. You can remember those early days of maybe the girlfriend or boyfriend you dated. You carved your names on a tree somewhere to be remembered of that relationship. You can drive around any city or county and see the folks where folks have passed away, right? Memorials set up on the side of the road where someone died in that place. You can think of World War II and the memorials that we have just looked at across the country. You can think of 9-11 Memorial and think about all of the, the death and the difficulty and we don't want to forget those times. No one wants to be forgotten, right? We all want to be remembered. And that is the great struggle of God's people's life. I think for Christ followers especially, we are plagued with forgetfulness and we want to be remembered. And the God of the Bible reminds us that a mother may forget her nursing child, but your father, your God, will never, ever forget you. See, we will be forgotten by many, but the Bible says God never forgets his people. And that is the great comfort and hope I hope you see in this passage this morning, that we often forget God as soon as we walk out this door on any Sunday morning, but he is not forgetful. We might never think of him for the next two or three days, but he doesn't forget thinking about and knowing his people. We are people plagued with forgetfulness. Don't you feel that in your own life as you seek to love God one moment and the next moment as if you don't even know who God is? And you see in the life of Abram and Sarah, they struggle to believe that God is good, that God doesn't forget his promises. It only takes a few years before they are completely derailed from all these majestic and miraculous signs that God showed to them 
and demonstrate his power and his work in their life. And so what we see is that forgetfulness is rightly understood in our lives as often unbelief. Forgetfulness always leads to unbelief because unbelief is the trust of oneself that we will be, I will remember, I will take care of my life, I will do this and I will do that. So we trust in our own self instead of the justifying grace of God which says he remembers his people forevermore. And so in this text you have Abraham and Sarai who are reflecting upon who God is in their own lives and they are seeking dependence on their own works. They are literally taking their lives and their servants into their hands to fix this great problem. How can they be the great descendants of God's promise when they have no children of their own? And Sarah is just tired of waiting. And so she presses in, as we see in this text, literally taking matters into her own hands because of her unbelief, because of her forgetfulness of God and of his grace to them. It is unbelief that so often lives in chaos and disillusionment in our lives that are often found in our homes and in our hearts. And so hopefully you'll come to this text and you'll remember that God remembers and that his grace, his word of grace to you is sufficient to know him and to love him and trust in him in the darkest of days that we all have and will face. So as you come to this text, I want us to look at really in two headings, contrasted two headings, but the first heading is this, the barrenness of unbelief in verses 1 to 6, the barrenness of unbelief. And the second thing we'll look at is the beauty of God's compassion, the beauty of God's compassion. In the, in the barrenness of unbelief, we have Moses writing out for us and giving us a sense of both Sarai and Abram's failure. Their lives are contrasted. Their conversation is given to us to, to fill in the gaps of their unbelief. And so that's what I want us to look at, that we see, right, in, in Sarai's unbelief, it was born out of her impatience. You couldn't have a more critical kind of life before her. There was a woman who was promised to be the, the mother of many nations, and she doesn't even have her own child. And to be childless at this day and age, as much as it is maybe for some of us in our culture a hard thing to go through, it was a devastating thing in this culture. Because if you didn't have children, it was seen that God was against you, that his curses were upon you. And yet God had made all of these promises. He had said what he was going to do, but she refused to remember and to believe. And Abram wasn't any help in the matter either. Sarah's, Sarah's impatience was the spark for her, her unbelief. Her barrenness was a stigma that she faced every day of her life. And to make matters worse, right, the very other woman in her house, her servant, would ultimately end up mocking her, right? You see, Sarah's unbelief grew out of impatience, but that unbelief turned into covetousness. It turned into, we would say, even the word lust. Lust isn't just a sexual idea. Lust is, uh, lust is this idea of coveting, of wanting it so badly, something so badly, that we say we, to ourselves, we say to our own hearts, I must have it. And we'll control people or try to control circumstances until we achieve that which we want. We can identify easily with Sarah, can't we? That her unbelief was grown out of impatience. 
that she longed to have control, that she was going to use her husband to try to change her circumstances. She wanted to be God like we all desire to be. And so what we see is that Abraham and Hagar are being used by Sarai. Interestingly, right, it is, it is Sarai who places her husband and, and tr- encourages him to lust after another woman, right, to give him away to her and her to him. That's how far she was willing to go to derail, defile her marriage and break relational intimacy with her husband. That's what the lust of control and covetousness does to our hearts that are filled with impatience and unbelief. And also we see, right, lastly in these, these headings that Sarai's unbelief grew into contempt, into hatred for Hagar. That her heart was filled with rage and jealousy and pride. And it became to her greater than any unbelief in her heart or difficulty in her life. She wanted that woman out of the way. She had objectified everyone in her family. She had objectified all her circumstances. And essentially, what we like to do with unbelief is blame everybody else, right, but ourselves. If this would change and that would change, and if this would, then, then I would have what I want. She objectifies. She sins against her entire household, treating everyone around her with scorn instead of blessing and care in the very hands of God. Her heart had become twisted by her desire to rule over her husband and her household at all costs, even costs to herself. Impatience, you see, is often the spark of her unbelief and mistrust of God. So we see that Sarah's unbelief stems from those particular things. But we also see that Abram's unbelief fails to hold on to God's redeeming grace. As he received the promise, he failed to obey God's voice. He heard God speak to him supernaturally, powerfully. Instead of listening to the voice of God, he began to listen to his wife's voice who is after him all day long it seems the text indicates right she continued she persisted we can understand that there are many voices little little stories in our our heads that feed us there are voices around us in our world our culture that tell us what we should be how we should be what does it mean to be a father what does it mean to be a wife and a mother there are all kinds of voices And so for us as God's people, we need to remember that God has spoken, that he's given us his word and he's called us to obey his voice. It's not simply a word long ago, it's his voice speaking to us by the power of his spirit. That's what we sung about even this morning, how God works powerfully through the singing and the knowing of his word to us. So Abraham failed to obey God's voice. He he failed to proclaim God's grace. He failed to proclaim that his God was a gracious and compassionate God. That he had removed them from all kinds of harms and difficulties. He had led them along their entire existence as a family. And he forgot to tell his family, don't you remember that our God is a gracious God? That's who we serve. That's who we worship. We must wait for him to show us the grace that he would have us to walk in in days ahead. The promises that were laden and filled with the grace of God to his people. 
And lastly, right, Abram failed to lead his family in repentance. He, he, he should have stepped up and said, no, this will ruin this house. This will wreck our marriage. This will cause more and more problems. But he doesn't. He yields to the voice of his wife, the pressures that he feels. He sees the very same things that his wife sees. He knows the problem. He knows the promise. He knows the promises they're supposed to be parents of a multiple, of multiple nations. Again, as we sung this morning, we're to be a part of multiple nations, yet we do not have one single solitary heir. And so what, is good, what does a good pragmatician do? I'll fix that. <laughs> Sure, if, if this, is, this is how we can fix it, honey, if you think this is the best way, and I'm tired of fighting with you about this, well then, let's have a child through our maidservant. Let her become my wife, even the text tells us. So Abram fails to obey God's voice, to proclaim God's character as a gracious God. He fails to lead his family in repentance, and our failure is to hold fast to the promise of God. Unbelief grows in forgetful hearts, hearts that forget to know and trust in God's grace and his promises, hearts that grow cold to his compassion and love for us. As one theologian notes, if no proper distinction is made between justification and sanctification, the doctrine of justification by works will inevitably follow and we will be deprived of the confidence in God's presence that characterizes his children when they recognize him as father and his fatherly care. It is here that Abram and Sarai recast a vision, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, to justify themselves, to fix their problems the way they saw fit. This is what the Bible declares as salvation by works. And it always leads to disaster and ruin when you and I try to fix things that are beyond us. Only God can work his grace and steer us and lead us and fix the things that are broken. That's the whole idea of redemption. God buys back things that are lost and fixes things that are broken. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what it means to believe in God's grace and his mercy towards us. Maybe you've seen late spring or even this summer, there's been, there's been a lot of garage sales. People are dumping and getting rid of stuff. Hey, come buy my junk. Get my stuff. Get this stuff out of my life, right? So you see all kinds of ads. You have all kinds of friends bother you. Come take my junk. Uh, invariably, in most of those garage sales, there always seems to be that, that one treadmill that somebody bought and spent an exorbitant amount of money. Hey, let's get a treadmill. That'd be a great idea. Let's jog on something that's... Motor, you know, it's, it's driven by a motor that I can't even keep up with, that I sweat all over the place. Let's get a, let's get a treadmill. Wouldn't that be great? And so you usually see a yard sale treadmill. It was a great idea at the time. I can work out in my house. I, I won't have any excuses anymore, right? But even when you get on the treadmill, you're like, man, I'm going to have to, like, I just had a Snickers bar. That's going to take three miles to knock that thing out, right? And so you get up to say, but it takes forever when you go, when you run. It takes for it doesn't the change doesn't happen very fast. That's why those things end up on the garage. <laughs> Nothing's changing. We want change now. Um, you know, what we should get we should get a Peloton bike. That's what we should get a Peloton bike. We should get one of those instead. It's interesting. Peloton's now in the treadmill business. Not long after they had success with their stationary bike, you'll see those on the corner soon too. And you'll get a great price, a great discount. What is it about 
us seeking to control, manage our unbelief. Well, trying to manage your unbelief is like getting on a treadmill. There's very little opportunity to see much change over a long period of time. And indeed, unbelief is like a treadmill. It goes round and around and around, seeking answers, seeking to solve our own problems in our own life, in our own way. You see, unbelief and performance-driven Christianity is like a treadmill. It can be more than exhaustive. It can be completely destructive. Sarai and Abram became greedy to have it all. They became impatient with God, and they became very impatient with their circumstances. Does that sound familiar? God, do something now. Fix this now. I'm tired of this now. And so we are impatient people who have been blessed with so many riches and possessions without number or fail, even as we live in this country. But we become blind to our need of God's grace, that we have to actually pray, Lord, please forgive me. Help my unbelief. Cause me to believe, as the disciples would say. As one theologian puts it, unless you are familiar with deceitfulness of your own heart, then prosperity and affluence would become a trap for your life. Right? Unless you're familiar with your own unbelief and deceitfulness, then you will trust in the riches and comforts that are at our disposal at any given time in Memphis, Tennessee. You see, unbelief was the real barrenness which Sarai and Abram faced. Their barrenness really was they didn't trust in God, they didn't believe in his promises. And as husbands and fathers today, we have a real challenge, right? We have a real challenge to lead our wives to Christ, to the beauty of his word, to his compassion and love towards us. But like all men in this day and age, it's it's scary to go up against your wife. It's, it's scary to go against the one whom, whom you love so very much. But men, many of us have to stand for the truth of what God's promises are. That's what Abram should have done. This isn't a challenge to be like Abram. It's a challenge to be like Jesus, who walked in truth and obedience before his father and led people to truth and love in his father. We are afraid to dress our own unbelief, our wife's unbelief, and our inability to rest in God's promise. The irony, of course, right, when we avoid unbelief in each other as husbands and wives, it only makes us more angry because the other person is usually ignoring the other person. (laughs) And that usually makes the situation worse. It doesn't bring about any resolution. Only the grace of the gospel only the ability to believe that we're actually called to be servants of each other in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, does that make an all-encompassing change in difference? Just like when wives ignore their spiritual role and encouragement of their husbands or challenge their husbands to be faithful to the truth of God's word, to produce, to see good works going on in their life, fear so often keeps us from being faithful But faithfulness is most often a reflection of our thankfulness to God. Children, it's it's hard to like your parents, right? (laughs) Especially as you get older. I do have five kids. They're all taller than me or older than me. It's hard for them to respect me many times if I failed them so often. It's hard to be, at this day and age, it's hard to be a kid anymore, right? It's hard to be a Christian 
You often feel alone or you feel left out. You feel marginalized like Hagar marginalized Sarai and mocked her, made fun of her. But you need to know that God is good, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that he knows you deeply, that he seeks to provide for you as you look to him. God loves his people. He loves families. He loves those he has called out and knows by name. He loves the lives he's given to us. He wants us to enjoy the lives that we so richly are blessed with. He wants us to enjoy our lives in this world for his glory, for the good of those around us. Why else would God send his son if he didn't love husbands and wives and children and families in this world that is lost without hope? He deeply cares and loves the world in which he's created because it belongs to him. This is the barrenness of our unbelief. And the second and the last part of the heading is really a contrast. Now we go into the story of Hagar and her son Ishmael. That the beauty of God's compassion is before us. And what we begin to see is that God is showing his compassion to people who will be far off, who won't even receive the covenant promise that Abram and Sarah had received in Genesis chapter 15. But they will receive the blessing of being connected to Abraham and his family. You see, God's compassion moves towards us with mercy. God is altogether powerful, and yet he's filled with deep, deep compassion. God graciously meets Hagar in her mistreatment and rejection. He sends an angel of the Lord twice to minister her as she's driven out harshly because of her own doing. She treated, she treated Sarai terrible. She mocked her. She derided her. She... She made fun of her. It was of her own doing, but yet the Lord showed compassion. He sent an angel of the Lord to be by her side. She's humbled. We know she's humbled because she actually calls Sarai her mistress, my mistress. She realizes the mockery that she caused in that home and things that were being torn apart by her behavior. But God, the creator of all life, will be worshipped by the Hagars and the Sarais of this world. Hagar says as much when she names and speaks of God. This is what she says. She says that, that you see all things. You are a seeing God. You know and see all things. What's fascinating is that God calls her by name in this text. He calls her Hagar. In this day and age, often women were just addressed as women, not by their personal given family name. And God addresses her by name, showing his compassion and care for her even in these circumstances. And then she calls upon God's name. She calls upon God's name as one who is filled with compassion for her, saying, you see all things. You're a seeing God. You have taken care of me. It's an important reminder, I think, for us today. Wouldn't that change? Doesn't that change the way we think and look around in this life, that God is always seeing us? That's, well, let's be honest. At one level, it's very unnerving. But for those who have faith and believe that God never slumbers nor sleeps, it's so encouraging. He never forgets us. He never goes to sleep. He never quits watching over us. That's her testimony about God's compassion. And God gives Hagar a clear command to return to Abram's home. Now that would seem really dumb. <laughs> In the world you go back to the home that you pretty much blew up and you've torn apart. I want you to go back to that home. 
I want you to go back to that place. Are you sure you want me to? I want you to go back to that place. And what we begin to realize is that going back to that place was for her to find protection and provision for a season until she would be sent out from that house eventually. Because back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that the Bible tells us that all of Abraham's offspring would be a blessing to the nations. That all the lines and lineage that would come into the world would come through the line of Abram, both of saving and of encouraging God's covenant of grace in their life. And all kinds of peoples that would come from the line of Ishmael. The Ishmaelites would actually have the best relationship with the Israelites for a sustained period of time. He sends her back because the house of Abraham was to be a place of blessing for her and for Sarai and the future son that would be born to them, Isaac. You see, the character of God loves justice. God loves justice. He always hates the sin of injustice. God is so just, he's so righteous that he hates all injustices that are caused towards men and women. He moves towards those who have been treated unjustly with compassion, those who are abused and downtrodden. For this God abounds with compassion, and Hagar recognizes that. And lastly, we see that God's compassion, it doesn't just move towards us with mercy, that God's compassion reveals his strength, his sovereignty, his power. God sovereignly, powerfully rules over all things. He extends grace to Hagar and to Ishmael. And he is properly named a God who hears. Ishmael's name means a God who hears. Abram, you see, finally hears and sees God's will. What else could be explained? His acceptance to lead his family back into truth. The truth that he was called to lead that home, to receive her back, to love Hagar and Ishmael, as well as to love his wife Sarai and their future son Isaac. But God still maintains his particular grace through Abram and Sarai. He is still protecting God's covenant promise to Abram and their future son Isaac. Even while things are becoming a non-laughing matter, he is at work in that home. God's sovereignty, you see, extends and overcomes all unbelief and injustice. Abram's household is a living example of this, that God is just. Even in our homes, we are called to love justice and mercy and to walk humbly with our gods. You know how hard that is in parenting? When kids start grabbing stuff or hate each other? <laughs> You've got to talk about the compassion of God and the justice of God. Because God is the one who demonstrates his justice and his compassions to us compassion to us in the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, for he makes his sun rise on evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God is blessing even in the midst of cursing, and he will curse even in the midst of many blessings. The judgment of God is rooted in God's covenant of redeeming grace. Jesus reminded his persecutors of what? Those who would kill him. Those who would put him to death, he says to them, that they could do nothing apart from the will of his heavenly father. They could not even hang him on a cross if it was not the will of God. That place where God would show justice and he would show compassion at the same exact 
moment. It is Jesus who has given us the hope that God is sovereign over all things, even our unbelief, even over death. God has a plan, and it's to show his compassion and goodness and his glory to the whole world. There is the beauty of God's compassion. You know, today you've already seen, if you've, you've gone through your social media account of all the posts about Father's Day, all the pictures with smiley dads, wiry kids. It's a glorious day. It's a privileged day to see those pictures be reminded that we're images of God. But when we come to a text like this, we're reminded that we are called to celebrate a father who is compassionate and good. Abraham celebrates a Father's Day in Ishmael at the age of 86. It's not pretty, but it's still his Father's Day. And the God of the Bible continues to remind us that he will never forget us, he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that we have a Father who is sovereign over all of our circumstances, who shows us his grace, who shows us his love and his compassion. The psalmist says, For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. May God have compassion upon us this day as we think about Father's Day. We think about the fatherhood of God. We think about our unbelief. And we remember this, that God never, ever, ever forgets his people. He knows them by name, and they are his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've called us by name, and we are yours in Jesus if it was not for him, we would be lost and without hope. We are so thankful that we don't simply call you God. We call you our Father who art in heaven. Help us to be a grateful and thankful people that your kindness would lead us to repentance. That you would help us to get off the treadmill of unbelief and to run to you and ask you by your word and your spirit, help us to believe even as we come and commune with you around the family table right now in Jesus' name.